1: understand and listen wisdom from heaven is this suffering suffering and trials what did we read every good and perfect gift is from above did you know that suffering and trials and suffering is a gift from our heavenly father who loves us like nobody else loves us it's a gift Philippians 129 it is granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also suffer for him
0: Do you consider it joy when you encounter various trials? (laughs) That's not one I'm great at. But in today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that wisdom from the Lord is knowing how to suffer well, to understand that God can take whatever pain and suffering we're enduring and turn it around to accomplish His purposes. Pastor Danny reassures you that your suffering is never in vain. God will use everything and have it ultimately turn around for your good. You don't have a God that's far from suffering. He's with you in it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James chapter 1 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: All kinds of trials frustration, disappointment, misunderstandings, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, personal loss, loneliness, fear, criticism, conflict, persecution, etc., etc., etc. It just goes on and on and on. Oxford Dictionary defines trial this way a trying thing or experience or person. Come on, let's get a little, just a little bit of involvement here. I know some of us may, some of us are going to raise our hand three times. But right now, right now, it's a trying thing, whatever that thing is you're going through. Come on, raise your hand. Trying thing. Come on, be honest. Look at all the hands. Trying thing. Okay, put your hands down. Now, some, maybe the same hands going up on this one too, because you got not only a trying thing, but you have a trying experience or something you're going through right now. Come on, raise your hand. Trying experience right now, right? Okay, put your hands down. Okay, third one. How many of us, listen, how many of us got a person, a trying person? Let me see your hands. That's the majority of the married people. (laughs) Some of you single. How many single? How many of you single? Put your hands down. How How many of you about to get married in the next few weeks or months? Moment of silence. No, what? What are you talking about? Listen to me. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it's somewhere in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7, 28. Paul said, if you're single and you can stay single, stay single. That's what he said. Why? He says, because those that marry will face many troubles in this life. If you're single and you can stay single, I'm saying, Based on the word of God, if you can stay single, stay there and you'll thank me one day. And I'm in a good marriage. Whoever said two can live cheaper than one? That's a lie. I'm not true at all. I could live a lot cheaper when I was single. The woman you gave me. No, just moving, moving. She's not in the service, praise the Lord. How in the world do I consider it pure joy? It doesn't say you'll always feel joy. That's not what it says. Consider it pure joy whenever you face multicolored trials. How does that work? Why? Why is that the path? And why should I consider it pure joy? Without trials, I will never mature as a Christian. The great mystery of the God made flesh in Jesus, our Christ, the Messiah. Hebrews 5, 8 says that Jesus, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered and then once made perfect. Perfect, It means mature. He was always perfect in the sense that he's sinless. He never sinned, but made mature. And there's a great mystery there that God becomes man and through suffering, suffering, he grows spiritually. Great mystery there, and yet he's the one that leads the way for us. That's the path. It's a path of pain. Without trials and persevering through the trials, listen, my faith will never be proven to be genuine because the perseverance through the trials shows that I'm the real deal. Those that don't persevere aren't the real deal. And many scriptures talk about that. First Peter, he writes about this tremendous salvation that we have. Then he says in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result one day in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that's when we get our full reward for the trials and our perseverance through the trials. Now, let me tell you what every Christian is going to need. Every one of us are going to need if you're going to persevere through these trials. Every one of us. Back in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him, but there is a stipulation. What's the stipulation to get this kind of wisdom? Verse 6. But when he asked, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So what is he talking about? The doubter here is the person who is not wholly committed to the Lord. The doubting here is not, Uncertainty, it's not you doubt that God exists, you doubt that Jesus is Lord. None of that. The doubting here speaks not of uncertainty but of internal indecision. It is a wavering between two opinions. That's what it is. And the person that's just half-hearted, lukewarm, you'll never get this kind of wisdom from God. Now we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about full maturity. But we're talking about full commitment. As far as I know, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm not in this thing, one side of the fence and one side of the fence over here. I haven't got one foot in the world and one foot in the church and one foot in heaven and one foot down here. No, no, I'm committed. That's the prerequisite to get this kind of wisdom. And What does this wisdom do for us when you receive it? Well... Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make you pass straight. It's not an intellectual understanding. It's not an accumulation of knowledge. It's something that's inner for living life in the midst of adversity. That's what it is. Here's what it does. It gives you perspective, the right perspective. So you don't bail out, lose your mind. (laughs) And the first perspective begins in verse 9. The first proper perspective begins in verse 9. Look at it. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. That don't make sense to the human mind. Not naturally. He's saying, you're here this morning, and you, you have no idea how the budget's going to work. You have no idea. You really don't know. You're having to trust God right now with every part of your being. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills. From heaven's perspective, if you're committed to the Lord, you're in a better position to grow spiritually than if you had plenty of money left over. Listen, from heaven's perspective, the pauper in this life who has faith in God is greater than the prince in this world who has everything. Because the pauper in faith here is a prince in heaven. That's what he's saying. The beggar laid at Lazarus's, Lazarus, laid at the rich man's gate. Heaven looked down at him, and man, he woke up in glory. And the rich man that wouldn't even pay attention to him. He's in hell today. Perspective. Look at the next verse. Verse 10. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls. Its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. I always like to say some of these, this particular point, you came into the world butt naked. That's exactly how you're going to leave. One of the worst things could happen to us. Sometimes people say, see, people have said to me, how come God don't don't give me the number to win the lottery? This church wouldn't have any bills if God gave me the number to win the lottery. And I look back at him and say, are you sure? One of the worst things that could happen to you is God give you a bunch of money. It was a whole lot easier for me. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, a whole lot easier for me when I had no money. My retirement account, I wasn't bothered about about it then because I didn't have one. How are you going to be bothered about it when you don't have it? Guy said to me this past week, "I start. I started with nothing. I have nothing. I'm doing pretty good." It doesn't mean that the rich person in this life materially can't be spiritual. That's not the point. But what's your perspective? And the potential of the materially rich in this life, it's more difficult for them to really be committed and spiritual than it is for the person who has nothing say, prove that, okay? Matthew 13, 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Can't choke it if you don't have it to choke it. Mark 10, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's right after the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life if you know the story? Jesus said, well, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me and you have great treasure in heaven. He went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth and he wasn't willing to give up what money can buy to get what money cannot buy. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Remember the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation? One in particular written to a church at Laodicea. Here's what Jesus said. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Luke 16, verse 15, Jesus said, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, can be here today and gone tomorrow. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Catch this last line. So that they may take hold of the life of That is truly life. There's perspective. What's life all about? When I'm living paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes I don't even know how in the world I'm going to pay my bills, but I'm going to trust God, and as far as I know, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm committed to the Lord. Lord, my life is yours. That person, great perspective to know that, hey, that's not where life is anyway. And for the person who has been blessed materially, the the Christian who has been blessed materially, don't you forget. Don't let's forget. That's not what life's all about. Jesus said, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Not what life's about. Zacchaeus, remember? I love the Zac- story of Zacchaeus. Every time I think about it, I see Danny DeVito because I think he looked like Danny DeVito. I do. Climbed up that sycamore fig tree to get a look at Jesus coming through Jericho. Jesus trees him, says, i am got to go to your house today. He goes to his house, and Zacchaeus gets saved that day. And you know what the evidence initially of his salvation was? He's a chief tax collector. He said, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay him back four times what I stole from him, and I give half of my possessions right now this day to the poor. Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus discovered Something he'd been trying all his life to find out where life was. And he thought more money is where it was. And he discovered that's not where it is. That's not where it is. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. i got to hurry here. Second place you need wisdom from heaven. Look at verse 12, James 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Last verse. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You could put that another way. You're the apple of God's eye. I'm the apple of God's eye. God loves me and is concerned for me in a good way more than anybody else in all the world. God would never give his child a bad gift. He only gives good gifts. He only gives good gifts. Now, in light of these last few verses, let me me show you how that works out, practically speaking. In every trial, please listen, in every trial preordained by God, there is the potential for temptation. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. That's our natural tendency. My natural tendency. I got a new nature. The Holy Spirit lives in me, but I got an old nature still in the members of this body, and they're in conflict with one another. And my natural inclination is to go away from the path God wants me to go. That's my natural inclination. It's yours, too. And so I don't even need the devil. But it's interesting, the two words here, the Greek words. By his own evil desire, he's dragged away. That's our natural inclination, to go the path that God doesn't want us to go. That's our natural inclination. The original word is a hunting term. And the picture is, there's a trap set, and here comes the prey. And the prey is walking toward the trap. But the second word, he's dragged away by his own wrong walk. You're walking in the wrong direction. You're headed for a trap, and it's called sin. And the second word is an interesting word. It's a fishing term originally. I can relate to that. And it literally talks about, means baiting the hook. So one is the hunting term. There there they go. They're headed for the trap. They're headed for the trap. And then hell comes along and says, we're going to make it enticing so that they come on in completely and we trap them. We're going to bait the hook with something they really like and that will be enticing to them. In every trial, there's the potential for temptation. But if we fail, can't blame God. Can't blame God. And you can try to blame the devil, but it don't work. Adam tried it right away. Remember, it never gets old to me every time I'm reminded of this story. Remember paradise? Adam and Eve, first human beings created. God marries them. They're in paradise. They're in paradise. And God puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of paradise. If I'd have been on God's board of directors, I'd have suggested you put it where we'll never find it. He didn't do that. He put it right in the middle. Why? Why did he put it right in the middle? Because love is a choice. Obedience is a choice. It's a test. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to stay close to God? Am I going to follow him? And right there, right there, that test became a temptation. Are you with me? Remember after they failed? God comes looking for them. He knows where they are. Adam, where are you? He knows where he is, but he's asking for Adam's sake. He wants Adam to come out of hiding. Well, we hid because we realize we're naked. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Don't you love this answer? It's still going around today. Listen, here's what Adam says. The woman you gave me. Eve, what's this you have done? I'm a victim. The serpent deceived me. And they both try to pass the buck. And that's what we try to do. And that's why James says, when tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. Just our own evil desire. And then Satan baits the hook, makes it enticing, and leads us right into the trap. Let me give you a couple of quick examples, and then we're going to close. Joseph rejected by his brothers. You talk about a trial in life. Preordained trial. God God preordained this. He ends up a slave. Now, God had given Joseph a dream of future exaltation, but he didn't tell him what was going to happen between the the dream and the fulfillment of the dream. That would be a lot of pain. He ends up down in Egypt. He's a slave. And guess what? In the midst of that trial, in the midst of that trial, guess what the first temptation in the midst of that trial was? His boss's wife trying to seduce him. Thank God he persevered and he resisted. He even ran from that. Job, you talk about a trial. Job loses everything except a nagging wife. Job must have thought, God, why didn't you take her too? Or let Satan take her. And here's what his own wife says to him. In the midst of this, the greatest trial of his life, here's what his wife says. Why don't you just curse God and die? Thank God, Job instead said, though he slay me, yet while I serve him. John the Baptist, the man who introduced the Savior to the world, and he ends up in prison. He ends up in prison. Perplexed, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says to Jesus through his disciples, are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? And in the midst of that trial, he was tempted to look for another Savior. Well, let's bring it in for a landing. I need to understand. And listen, wisdom from heaven is this suffering, suffering, and trials. What did we read? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Did you know that suffering and trials and suffering is a gift from our Heavenly Father who loves us like nobody else loves us? It's a gift. Philippians 1.29, it is granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also suffer for him. And ultimately, this wisdom keeps my perspective correct on God. John the Baptist was tempted. Am I are you the one or should I look for somebody else? Are you really the Savior that I introduced to the world? John had to get his perspective back. Blessed are all those who are not offended on account of me. I know the Lord's speaking to some people who are going through some difficult times. And you're a believer, and as far as you know, you're committed. Now, if you're not committed, then maybe the troubles is because you're not committed. I want you make a fresh commitment today. But for those of us, As far as we can judge our own life, we're committed, and yet the tough times. I talked to some just before every service this weekend, before every service this weekend going through difficult times, some going through very, very difficult times. And you can't muster up any warm fuzzies in those times, and there's a lot of times not the feeling of joy, but you can consider it, count it all joy. Because as painful as it is, God knew you were going to be going through it. He knew. He knew. And if you'll persevere, if you'll persevere, he's going to bring you through to the other side.
0: Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series from the book of James. When you look in the mirror, you see a reflection. If you move your arm away from your body, the mirror shows that movement. Well, much of what James writes about is encouraging and challenging believers to have action that reflects their faith, like that mirror. Don't just go around saying one thing, but then never doing anything that backs it up. Your faith should be real and evident. So what are some personal takeaways that you've gained from today's edition in James? We encourage you to keep tuning into this series to continue growing in your understanding and your walk with God. There's much more that Pastor Danny wants to share with you from the book of James. Before we go, we wanted to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church to get directions and service times. Again, that's ccf. S-T-P-E-T-E dot church. Thanks so much for listening today and for having the desire to grow your faith into action. We hope that what you've learned here helps you come alive through listening and learning from the living word.